Welcome back to the Animation Industry Podcast. I'm Terry and thank you for tuning in. Today's episode includes some really great advice that you won't typically hear about how to break into the industry if you're thinking of doing it alone and how to stay on track to fulfill your dreams no matter what direction you feel pulled into. But first, I have a sponsored message to share with you and it comes from my friends over at Bloop Animation, which is an animation learning platform packed with premium online video courses for aspiring animation filmmakers. They have courses for all major animation programs like Maya, Animate CC, Toon Boom, Blender, TV Paint, and many others, as well as some non-software courses too, like a storyboarding course, animation foundations course, and even one about making graphic novels, which covers absolutely everything you need to know from start to finish. And their courses are all in video form, so there's no deadlines or application process. You simply just pick a course and start learning in seconds. They even offer a free ebook titled Making an Animated Short, which covers their entire process step-by-step of how they made one of their films, from coming up with the idea to storyboarding, animation, and all the way to exporting the film. And you can get that book for free at bloopanimation.com slash animationindustry. And you can check out their complete course library at bloopanimation.com slash courses. Now back to today's episode. I would like to introduce you to Nasir Pasha, a Toronto-based 2D animator who is also the author of a graphic novel called Two Mistakes Too Many, and he's working on an independent short film right now called Legend, A Dragon Ball Tale. But besides all that, he's also worked on Netflix's Castlevania and was the animation lead on Battleborn and Extinction of the PS4 and PC. And between all that, he does an awful lot of freelance, so he has a ton of experience. So, Nas, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I might look a little bit distracted. My, I have two cats now, and they're, uh, they're being stupid and cute. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean now? Like, you didn't have them before? Well, I had a, I had a cat uh, a year ago, and then um, uh, recently I've been beckoned into accepting a second one into our life. So. Oh, my gosh. How yeah. How is that? Is it like... Is it great? Is it you just? I, I don't like to admit it, but I like it. I don't want to be those people where you meet them and they're like, "Oh, my cat, my cat, look at this picture." Mm. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I, I do like it, sort of. Okay. <laughs> um. So, uh, yeah, you're quite an accomplished animator, and you've worked on a ton of like unique projects. But first, I want to talk about how you got into the industry because you know you quit school after two years, but you're still one of like the top animators in the city here. So what was the ultimate decision factor to discontinue school for you back then? Uh, for me, it was uh, I was only interested in learning how to work in 2D. I didn't want to do any 3D animation. And that's the my program at Seneca was uh, pushing into a third year of 3D animation or 3D game design. And uh, I figured, you know, you could always come back if you felt like you wanted to further pursue education. So uh, I decided to, to leave. And I had, like, I had some endeavors I wanted to undertake like my graphic novel and um I was just eager to get to it so I kind of got the blessings of the school and I uh I took off nice um so when did you know that you only wanted to focus on 2d and I'm asking because uh like a lot of people start going to school and they're like I want to draw like I don't know comics or I want to draw special effects like they know right away what they want to do but then when you're in school you're exposed to everything and there's kind of like the feeling that you should keep going and keep exposing yourself. So how did you find the confidence to know 2D was your thing and that was it? Well, I mean, even just 2D being a thing, like, cause there's so much, there's illustration, there's layout, there's animation, there's all sorts of stuff within the category. So for me, like, um, from the beginning, I mean, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an animator. And then I went to uh, York University to pursue a degree on art related. And uh, I was close to staying in that world, but I decided to just try the animation world because it was something I always wanted to do. So while I was there, that's that feeling of like you've always wanted to do it, just keep going with it. It was just magnified like a hundredfold. So it really influenced my uh, mentality to be able to confidently choose something and stick with it. And I'm I'm very much of the the mindset if something doesn't work out, it it's not really a failure unless I let it affect me in ways it shouldn't. So if it didn't work out, I would just go do something else. And I don't, I don't like to just think about plan Bs, but like I know I can put myself into having to think of a new plan A. So I made it the plan A and I, I kind of just stuck with it. So it sounds like you kind of put all of your mentality and effort and everything into what you're doing at the time, rather than like, I'm gonna do this maybe 
85% and just hope that it works out and then I have a plan B type of thing. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Okay. But I, but I do like planning for yeah. like dark days. <laughs> have you needed to do 3D animation in your career so far? No. No. Um, I've dealt with it. Like uh, we've dealt with 3D assets and stuff like that. And um, the most I've ever dealt in 3D is I designed a plastic peg bar for myself. <laughs> And then I even had my friend rebuild it because he's better at it. And then we got it printed, and that's what I used to animate on paper. <laughs> Wait, why wouldn't you just go with a regular peg bar then? Uh, the regular peg is the, the, the holes are custom, the, the acme hole punch. So you need an acme hole puncher to be able to punch the paper. And even if you get like the, the light foot one that has like the regular three hole punch that looks like a regular hole puncher, even those like regular hole punchers aren't made the same, they're off by millimeters and stuff. So I found like a really nice one at Staples. Uh, like a hole puncher, and I built the peg based off of that. Um, but yeah, it made it worth it. <laughs> Makes sense. So how often do you do 2D, like, on-paper animation then? Yeah, all the time. Uh, every production I'm on, I always try to at least do one scene in 2D on paper, uh, no, even if it's, like, even if it's not for, like, myself, like, if, if for my clients. But there are there have been occasions where, like, uh, it's not the case. Like, sometimes it's always only in Flash, and it doesn't help the production anyway. You know, if anything, it'll actually slow it down if they had to just import my drawings and vectorize and all sorts of stuff. But um, my freelance stuff, I almost primarily always work on paper. And then stuff that are really wide in terms of camera, I, I like to work digitally. But even those, I sometimes just do my roughs on paper and I scan them. And uh, usually it ends up saving me a lot of time doing it on paper because oh, wow. I, I'm, I make less mistakes on paper and I can draw faster. I have more pen control and everything's in one focus. Uh, and in digital, zooming in, zooming out, stroking undo stroking undo and it's just a matter of fighting your actual uh penmanship digitally than your actual ability to animate so so what is what is your process then if you do it on paper so you do it on paper first as like a pass and then you scan it in clean up the lines in photoshop uh what i do is like uh, i typically i do all my thumbs on paper i do all my initial animation on paper don't do too many in-betweens, but I have a lot of breakdown drawings in my style of animation. So I don't end up having that many in-betweens anyway at the end. So I'll scan it, I'll time it in like TV Paint or something. If it's looking good, uh, if it's ready to be in-betweened, I'll just do the in-betweens digitally if I have to, if they're not that tight. And then I'll print it and then I'll clean it up on paper. So I get all my favorite parts on paper and all the parts I don't like on like digitally. That's so interesting because there's there's like a big fear of people getting into the animation industry, at least from my classmates and stuff, that 2D on traditional paper is like dead. But you're saying that even though you do it kind of digitally, you your process is to do it on paper, which is really cool. Yeah, like I, I definitely like to be able to utilize my best skills in the fastest way I can execute sure. them. So I can draw on paper faster. But there are things that you gain from doing it digitally, like your instant playback or adjusting timing. But if you, I mean, it's, it's about knowing like where you are in your skill set. So I'm at a point where like I can rough time on paper pretty good. I um, And then even just like uh, my proportions got better on paper. So I don't have to worry about like control teeing stuff yeah. and, uh, and that sort of deal. But like, um, yeah, like definitely merging the two processes, I think is good. And uh, to the fear of, oh, 2D is dead on paper. It really isn't. Um, maybe it is over here a bit because of like the the Toon Boom and Flash uh, prevalence in the industry. But I mean, if you look at like all the shows that we like, like in anime and stuff, like whether they're animating digitally, there's always a paper step. Like they'll sometimes just do all their cleanup on paper. And uh, a lot of their animators do still animate digitally, but like mm, that quality of the line, like it's not always temp tempered with. So. Um... From my understanding, a lot of studios will say like, okay, you need to know Toon Boom, for instance, to get a job here. Has that been uh, a hindrance to you? If you, I guess, are better on paper in like an interview or something rather than like on Toon Boom, like, has anybody ever questioned that? Uh, no, uh, I'll use, like, just be honest when it comes to that when They see your skill and they bring you in for that reason. Usually your interview is to see if they can work with you. And if they say, oh, well, do you know Toon Boom? If you don't, just say, I don't, but I can learn it in a week. It's not hard. Like, if it's just drawing on an, another surface, another interface, like, it's really not much different. It's just learning the program. You could probably even just do it in a day, a week's just being nice. Right. 
So it really just comes, I mean, it makes sense. It comes down to your actual skill and talent as an animator first and foremost. Yeah. Do you know anybody else who does this? Is this like a thing that you've just kind of picked up yourself and it's like a niche thing that you do or are other people doing this too? I don't know a single person who does this yeah. <laughs> because the amount of time you can save in not planning on paper, uh, it's um, most people can't see another way. They can't see that you could probably save time in the long run by doing certain steps on paper. And I, I look at it in the long run. So maybe I lose time in force feed scanning, but the force feed scanner is faster than scanning on the glass. Right. And maybe I lose time in just fumbling with things and flipping paper, but the amount of time I save in drawing is exponential. So nice. uh, in the long run, it always ends up saving me time. And that was my, but my main instigation wasn't to save time. It was like, I'm really selfish with my drawings. Like I love having something at the end that I liked. And like, yeah. maybe I'll even just keep it and I'll look at it once at a time. But like, if it's digital, like, it's like, where is that file? Oh, the file, yeah. oh, I don't have it. On, it's on my Dropbox or, you know. It's like final version to edit, <laughs> whatever. Exactly. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Like, uh, I tried to animate on paper and I hated it because my, the process of figuring out animation for me is so rough that I'm like constantly just feeling out shapes on like Toon Boom. But then when it comes to cleanup, I hate how long it takes on Toon Boom versus how fast I can just do it with my hands. Yeah. So it's the opposite. Huh. So definitely it feels like your, your in-between would be like starting digitally, uh, letting the tools augment your speed, and then like just taking a step away from it and then finishing it all in another place. But uh, yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> so, okay, so let's backtrack a little bit to when you were in school. Just tell me about the time where you decided to kind of exit school and try to get into the industry and start your other projects. Like, were you scared? Were you feeling like really excited? Um, like what was going through your mind as to what your future was gonna hold? Yeah, I definitely wasn't scared. I was essentially only excited because I, I could not not think about my projects. Like I was working on my first book while I was in school a little bit. And then uh, one summer passed and uh, I had finished it and it was just for me, but I had to print quite a few copies just to be able to have a, a book for myself. So I did, and then I was selling it at like fan expos and stuff like that. But then when I finished school uh, in that second year, the day it was done, I started working on my second book and I told myself, um, what is the responsible amount of time to not be working? So for me, it was six months and I finished the book in maybe five and a half months and I organized all the stuff on the back end and it all came to plan. So then after that, I said, okay, you have to make a portfolio. And I was already so excited to make the portfolio, I started it a day before I was even finished my book. I remember just at night, all I could think about was how I was gonna do it. And like, all, I, if I try to look back at it, I can only remember the excitement. I don't remember ever being scared because um, there was nowhere for me to go except just keep making the artwork. If people don't like it, they're not gonna like it. There's nothing to be scared about. Um, you just have to wait. If it's, not, if it's not good enough, it will become good enough once you're good enough. So, um, yeah, after after just kind of planning out, like I, I mentioned, like I do like planning quite a bit, um, yes, like but I do like planning for the long run though, not just the short term, mostly for the long run. And those are all long-term plans. And uh, for me, like uh, I mentioned to you once that I felt like I cheated when I got in the industry. I felt like it felt really weird. Like, um, cause my, my planning was planning for uh, rejection. I was planning to, uh, I wasn't, I didn't finish school. So like uh, I was a year, out of school earlier than my peers. So it's not like I'm doing this all together. We're not all looking for like workshops and uh, information sessions and all this sort of like industry nights and all that sort of stuff together. So I'm here making a portfolio and I'm thinking, okay, well, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna start applying with this. I've been applying for months, it's probably gonna be even a year. I'm gonna be getting rejected from place to place. And then finally I'm gonna settle for like an internship or something. And that'll be like my entrance to the this world. And I was willing to do it because at that age, um, with like it was financially responsible to do that and to not just be looking oh just get the first thing that pays you because it could be somewhere else it might not even be in the industry that you're thinking of but um, I felt like I cheated because the day I finished my portfolio the next day I had uh, an interview and then the day after that I think I got another interview and then by the end of the week I had a job and I wasn't ready for that. I thought like this, not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed, you're supposed to suffer for a little longer. And I'm used to always having to go through a lot of hard work to get what I want. So it, it was a very uh, strange thing to me because that was essentially me saying, this is the type of life that I want. So if that's going to be the type of life you want, you imagine it's going to be the hardest thing to overcome to just get into the door. 
but um i mean i'm very thankful that it wasn't but uh i mean if you have a good portfolio that's usually what will get you past a lot of those barriers so so let's talk about what you put into your portfolio then why was it so attractive to people looking to hire you um i thought about that a few times and uh it's strange because we're not really like focused on like anime and comics and stuff like that in the canadian animation scene right like we we get that that terrible and mostly true uh, stigma that we only do kids shows and service work and that sort of stuff. So at that time, especially in like 2013, when I was applying, uh, it was definitely true. And my my portfolio was nothing but anime. Like I, I created this world about the Monkey King, but I made it kind of related to Dragon Ball Z. And I did like my own sort of designs on it. But I think what made the portfolio attractive was to see how far I could take it. So I did, I did a, I did turnarounds. I did storyboard for an action sequence. I did layouts, I did color design, I did props, and I did one thing that nobody ever did in their portfolio for their design projects is, at, well, at the time at least, is I actually animated a fight sequence from my board and colored and composited and did sound effects and voice on it uh, with music. So uh, I literally showed what could be taken from nothing to something. Dang. Start to end. <laughs> and I think that it's in in its entirety was a bit more of a wow factor aside from the content because maybe the employers weren't excited about the content but i think they were excited that we found someone that is reliable they can start something and they can definitely end it so well yeah i like your approach because um kind of the portfolios that i've seen so far is say for instance somebody wants to become a background painter so they paint a bunch of different backgrounds um, and they show that, but what you, sounds like what you did is you envisioned essentially like a whole film or like TV series and tried to create every part of it almost like as a pitch, like you had all the assets, the sound, everything. That's yeah, what it sounds it, like to me. It definitely essentially is a pitch package and most pitch packages don't even have completed samples of animation. Right. So, but I, I do respect like uh, a, a person trying to develop a specialization that their uh, portfolio is in indicative of that but for me like my ultimate goal in life would be to be an animation director or showrunner and uh, i've gotten tastes of that here and there but um from the beginning i my portfolio unconsciously was actually showcasing that and as right. you were saying like it was kind of showing how how it would be like a pitch yeah well okay so what are you doing now to become a showrunner or a director animation um director? for me like i, I mean I've, I've animation directed on a few uh smaller freelance stuff and i did i mean i did a 3d show like i was doing like um it was a kids show they're like three minute episodes so that was like my first like directing directing gig but i'm more interested in 2d animation and uh, that sort of directing so more of my freelance work is every time i do one of those projects it brings me closer to more of that work and like i'm a strong believer in something one of my friends told me he said the more one type of work you do the more that work will come to you and it's not a coincidence because every time you do it you get stronger and you start learning things and you start cutting out bad habits so um with my uh, personal work, like this Dragon Ball Z film that I'm making, other than it just being fun, I treated it kind of like a master's class for myself. So all the types of animation I want to get into, you'll see a little bit of an example of that inside the film. And um, after it's all done, I think it'll be a, a good, solid example, at the very least, of like what I can do on the back end of a film. So and since I did start it and end it, I, it does technically make me a showrunner for a super short film. So, okay, so I, I still want to talk a little bit about how you entered the in industry because it's a little interesting to me. So, um, you know, school is like a defined path. There are profs there. They like give you all this, the technical skills. You get industry connections. Uh, they give you like a lot of feedback. Um, you know, there's yeah. all those. It's like a whole package to get you into the industry. Since you kind of quit that um, and you were doing things on your own for like a year while other your class, your uh, I guess ex-classmates were yeah. still in school. How did you figure out all the like portfolio stuff, like where to find jobs, how to put together a resume, where to get connections? Like, were you also still taking courses to like up your 2D skills during that time too? Like, where right. did you figure out how to do all those things on your own essentially? So in terms of courses, there's there's nothing like that. It's not that they weren't available. I just I never thought to look for them. Yeah. In terms of like. Um, being able to gear portfolios and stuff like that, I always brought it back to, if I was actually at the top of an industry, who would I be looking for to be working with me? 
So I wanted to create work in a respect that would be like, okay, well, that's a person that I would want on a team. So that's essentially it. And when it comes down to um, uh, like mentorship or like looking for jobs and stuff like that, I mean, Canadian Animation Resources was a great start for um, uh, finding job boards and stuff like that. But truthfully, like my mind at the time was just focusing on the artwork. Like if if you could become so good, like people have no choice but to put you on their team because it becomes a bad business decision for them to not hire you if they know you can do so much for them with uh, such a high level of uh, art quality. So, and I didn't know that at the time. So for me, my, my only priorities was to be really good and efficient with my time. And if you can get both those things, the rest kind of you can figure out. I mean, being a young student leaving from school, all my, my peers are still in school. Um, I did use that time mostly to focus on the art. And maybe when we were all finishing, we were all sort of like finding out who's that one guy you're supposed to be contacting if there's going to be a job fair or this and that. And uh, usually your your school is pretty good, whether it's Sheridan, though I didn't attend Sheridan, but I hear good things about them, or Seneca, which I did attend. They're pretty good at giving you indication of like where you should start looking, giving you the names of some studios. But for me, I'm a very cold call type of person. So I called Elliot and then I, I asked if I could talk to George Elliot and then he told me like what they were doing and then I applied. I, I called like Guru, I, I did all these sorts of stuff. I, I, I did maybe more than I should have. Like I, I remember my sister, she was really great with interviews and resumes and all that sort of stuff, very professional. She's like, Nasser, what are you gonna wear on the day you go in? And I said, I'm gonna be wearing what you see me wearing right now. <laughs> and she said, you're kidding me, please put on a suit. I'm like, you're, no, 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 you don't understand how this industry is. People don't wear suits. She's like, no, professionalism isn't excusable just because of the job. Uh, she, uh, uh, um, she had a friend at the time who, be, she kept badgering him to wear a tie to an interview, and he's going to be getting a job in a factory. And um, eventually, he got the job. And then he said to his boss, he's like, you know, I was always curious. Why did you pick me uh, out of those other guys? They had more experience. And the guy said, it's because you were wearing a tie. <laughs> and then, so she always used that anecdote to me to be like, please just look. Uh, look right so I, I got like this cheap suit from like some Chinese website and um, I, I looked I looked all right and then I walked into my first interview uh, which was at a studio and then I didn't accept that job and then when I went to Elliot and I did get the job I remember when I finally came in the receptionist she's like oh you're here to see uh, uh, George and stuff I'm like yeah so then I get inside they're like hey I remember you you're the guy who wore that suit I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to be that guy. And then, like, the receptionist comes back in. She's like, oh, you're Naz, right? Oh, the suit guy, right? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, don't, if I can give anyone advice, just don't. Like, animation really is that one uh, area where look good enough, but, like, you don't have to suit up. But to be honest, it left a really good impression on them. So yeah. Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that a lot too from people in the industry. Like, please don't wear a suit. But funny story. I actually got my first marketing job because I was well, also requirements and whatever. But because I was wearing a suit, it it made (laughs) me stand out. Because everybody else that interviewed just wore like a a nice shirt. But they were like, I I was working with. uh, If you remember Target when they came to Canada, um, Mm -hmm. part of my job was to like partner with them. Um, and so they wanted somebody that looked professional and I was like, it was me. <laughs> um, no, that's, that's great. It, it almost sounds like you're treating yourself as a business though. Like you're thinking about what assets you have to offer that can become invaluable to other, to other, to students or studios and clients and stuff, which I think is great. And do you think that's where a lot of your success has come from? Just your mentality of how you're treating your career? I think so. Um, yeah. uh, I think like to not to, Canadian animations credit, but I do think there's a lot of abuse of artists and like their uh, their labor. I think like um, there's people will take advantage of how much they can get you for, uh, how much hours you're supposed to be putting in, and they'll try to put things in front of you like, oh, you know, this is a great production, or oh, you know, like there's a lot of energy in the team. Can we trade? Uh, or would you want to be part of that and stuff? And like they really amp you up. And when you're leaving school and you're really in this sort of cartoon mentality, and you're like, oh, this is gonna be my life. This is gonna be great you start to soon get jaded because you allowed yourself to be uh, a part of that. And it's not just like, oh, I'm not gonna take part of that. It's not easy because this is how, there's a trend of people like essentially giving their labor for less than it's worth. So if you don't treat yourself like that, I mean, you're not gonna be giving, if you're, if you're a dealer of like iPhones, you're not gonna be giving people deals just because they're asking for it, right? 
uh, well, we need 10, but could you sell it to us for 80% off or something like that? So if you treat yourself like uh, as a business, not just in uh, respect of like having a business number, but like actually like this is your product that you're able to sell to people, which is your labor and your skill, um, not giving the discount and really being on, on top of like what you what you have to offer, not compromising on that. I think that's really important. So how do you, so say, so say I'm, uh, I get a job offer tomorrow. How do I identify if it's, if I'm being taken advantage of from like a freelance or like a studio perspective, like, yeah. like I'll be excited because it'll be my first paid animation gig. So I'll be like, yeah, I'll take anything. Right. Like, yeah. How I mean, do I know? Yeah. There's a few things that you can consider. So one is, uh, what you're trying to gain out of it and what you're actually going to gain out of it. So if you're trying to gain a job experience, if you're trying to make connections, if you're trying to do whatever it is you want to do, um, if you can weigh it and you feel like you're not getting it, it may not be worth your time. It, it may not be the case of being ripped off or anything like that, but it may not be worth your time. You just have to know what you want out of the job. So certain jobs say they're low pay, but they're high quality. And you're like, oh, this beckons my interests a lot. So I may not be getting the money that I want, but I'm getting some sort of nourishment and like um, the type of work that I'm producing, that's very cathartic. But then yeah. inversely, you may find a job where the quality of the work is not even close to what you're looking to work on. Some crappy kids show and you're like, oh, this, this is beneath me or whatever the reason might be. But uh, the pay is good. And if, if what you're looking for is a payday at that time, then it's checking off in your list what you're trying to get out of the job. So having a real expectation of what you're trying to do at that time in your life is really important to know if you're getting ripped off. But other than that, if you want like a really basic answer, I guess I should have started with it, is um, just trying to research some industry rates on like what the average rate is for a storyboard or a, a character design package, what a re weekly rate is as a painter or something like that. And they're you, usually around the same. Yeah, where do you find that information? So like uh, or something? You could find it online by just Googling it, but just by knowing a few people, I could, I mean, I, I have some knowledge on that just from being in the industry, but like uh -huh. mostly like if you just get into like a bit of a circle, like your teachers could probably even tell you that in animation school. Um, yeah, it, the information's out there. Gotcha, that makes sense, ask around. So uh, I guess the advice is step away from the starry eyes that you have and really evaluate what you are getting into based on what you want out of it. Like Mostly, like yeah. if, uh, if you're only looking for one thing, you'll only be satisfied if you get that. So if you're only looking for money, if it's not a high paying job, it doesn't matter what the project looks like. It's not going to satisfy you. But if you're only looking for good projects and you look at like something like anime where you only make $25 a scene, where regardless of how many people are in there, or how long it is, um, then you're going to be getting what you want, but uh, it may not be so sustainable. Both are not sustainable. Like if, if you're very artistic and uh, you really want to be working on good projects, but all you get are high paid, really unchallenging projects, it's not sustainable because you're going to go crazy. Yeah. And uh, the, the inverse is unsustainable for obvious reasons, for money and health and that sort of stuff. Totally, yeah. I feel that. I mean, I switched careers, so I right, definitely, yeah. I definitely <laughs> feel that. Um, so something you we talked about before this chat was uh, the concept of like childhood monsters, and it relates back to what you were saying about building up your skills and like creating, making yourself invaluable to companies because you're so skillful. So mm -hmm. I guess the concept is like nowadays there's so much free education through YouTube or whatever out there that, and I'm experiencing this too, like I'm 31 and some of my classmates are like 18, 19 and their skill level in like technical skill level is like way above mine already. Mm -hmm. So like how do you compete with kids who are coming like super young, extremely talented? Like how do you compete with that if you're looking to like, I don't know, for what would you say to me before I got into this industry? You know, like I mm -hmm. had no skills. I put together a portfolio basically is how I gained my skills. So maybe I can give you two answers. The first would be kind of like, um, uh, if you're looking for work locally, so much of it is dependent on if people just like working with you. The usually how I see it is if you apply with a portfolio online or whatever, and they're like, this person looks good. They'll, they want to interview you. If they want to interview you, in my mind, you already have the job. They're just seeing if you're a nice person to work with and you can get along with people. Um, so in that case, um, you can see where your personal relationship with your employer, potential employer, is really important. But when it's like, say, somewhere where you can't reach and it's just a bunch of people online applying, you have 18-year-old beasts, and then there's you and you feel like you're not at the, the level of these guys, um, this is where my second answer is just get good. 
<laughs> like, yeah. just just be so good that people can't ignore your skill. That makes sense. Like you, you're basically saying you have to know what your worth is in the situation. So, if it's a job you want to take locally, your value in being a good person, a good people person, is actually higher than uh, your value in being an amazing animator. For instance, if yeah. you are working on a freelance project overseas, like they just want the art, not you, right? Yeah, I mean, and not a hundred percent, but yes, it's much more uh, important uh, sure. locally. Yeah. So okay. So given that, and uh, like what, and what we talked about previously, if somebody is thinking of getting into the industry, either it be locally or uh, I guess non-locally, how do they make the decision on like whether they go to school, whether they learn on their own, whether they take on a mentorship or something? Like how? Yeah. How do you? Because like for instance, going to school or shared in college is it's like a catch-all for everybody wanting to get in. Like if you want to up your skill level, become a people person, work in groups, like all that stuff, right? But like, yeah. say if you're questioning what your path should be, but you know you want to get into it, what is your advice there? Now, just to clarify your question, is it before starting any formal or informal education or while you're in it? I guess both. Why not just for somebody who's in this in a spot right now thinking like, I know I'm going to get into this career path. Mm -hmm. um, what is the best way for me to approach this? Because it could be continue school, discontinue school, do online course, don't do online yeah. course, like all this stuff, right? I think a good, a really good way would be um, when you're ready to do it, uh, give yourself a period of time. And in that period of time, make the decision that you're going to do it, but just don't start it. So to be more specific, if I wanted to go to animation school, uh, for me, it would have been one year. If I said in 2020 I want to go, um, the actual plan is to go in 2021. And in 2020, I spend the entire year uh, researching uh, and actually trying out everything I think I'm going to learn in animation on my own. And whether it's through online courses or just through friends or there's like a lot of Discord groups now where like people do just a lot of artists collectively share work and stuff like that. Um, there's enough resources online for you to really pursue uh, an informal self-created curriculum and uh, I'm really big on creating my own curriculum and then doing it and then moving on to the next thing so uh, and I, I would say that would be a good way to start it give yourself a period of time whether it's like a few months or it's like a year or half a year and then do it like you've already made the decision now it's just you doing it and then when that half year or whatever the time period is over if you now feel like okay I got something out of it, I need to take it to the next level and someone else is gonna help me do that. Whether it's a school or an online academy, it'll be more apparent to you. It won't be just a guess. Oh, let's see how this works out. Uh, you'll know. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. I, I like that of like, because if you don't give yourself a time limit, you could get caught up in a cycle of just going on forever or not even yeah. starting, I guess. So, okay, yeah. so what do you say to, for instance, like Sheridan has a very a small acceptance rate. I think it's like 10%. Um, yeah. which means a lot of people don't get in on their first try and they uh, uh, like uh, many people spend a couple of years trying to get in right so say for instance you set yourself that six month time period you put together your portfolio you learn everything you don't get into school for instance should you keep going on like do you think you could learn on your own like I don't know what do you say to that I, th I think like what it, what it is is if you use that six months then apply and you get rejected I use that as indication that your just your skill level isn't high enough. If your interests are all in the right place, they're where they need to be. So just work on the skill level. So whether it's taking more painting courses or personal life drawing, you all if as long as you're not waiting for the next application date, as long as you're actively doing something, yeah. it'll only make your next application better. And maybe in that time, maybe you have a realization where like maybe I don't want to be going to school, or maybe it reinforces it. I really need to get into this school. So yeah. Yeah, so maybe at that point, do some evaluation, self-reflection, figure out where you want to go next and why you didn't get there. And then, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, and some of the classmates that I have that spent a few years getting in are some of the the best artists that I know. So, yeah. Makes sense. Um, like, was there, a, I, oh, I guess my, I have a first question about this. What are you currently doing to increase your skill right now, other than yeah. work? I mean, other than working, like there are other things that indirectly affect my skill, like so my um, ability to understand notes or being able to take direction, maybe that comes from uh, my uh, interest in doing research. 
so like when I was like in school and I was like studying critical theory or like globalization or whatever it was, um, my ability to gather material, digest it, uh, compartmentalize information to find out where it'd be useful, is a hundred percent augmenting what I do right now. So uh, bringing that say to a production standpoint, being able to actually deal with things on the back end, like dealing with assets, um, dealing with um, actual file types, renaming things, uh, using days just for a reference and study, using days to categorize information, making spreadsheets and all this sort of stuff. Like it definitely is really important. And it's the part that nobody likes to really focus on and they end up doing it by consequence, not by planning. So right. um, uh, definitely to increase my skill other than just like maybe working on this film, which is kind of like I mentioned, like a masterclass for myself. I, I'm constantly studying like uh, animated stuff that I like. I used to watch Ranma a lot in the morning and uh, well, me and my wife were watching it. Like I keep pausing it. I'm like, oh wait, just one more time, one more time. And I would watch how they use like five frames to do like a head pop or something like that. And I was constantly doing it. And then like, uh, but I wasn't drawing or taking notes. I was just, I just kept rewinding and watching. I didn't realize how much it was actually affecting me because for me that was just fun. But one day my friend Jeremy says, hey, you know your, uh, your a lot of your new Dragon Ball stuff is looking like very like Ranma-ish. And he showed me like this one gif of a scene that he liked. He's like, this is reminding me of your work recently. I'm like, I can't believe you said that. This is so sick. So um, yeah, definitely studying things you like. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big into like the studying and the research and the gathering. But I, uh, though this isn't what you asked, I, I want to maybe focus a, for a second on, I really like to divide things and not do too many things at once. So like if there's a day, like I, oh, when I was getting into animation and I finally left school and I, I did stuff and that you mentioned I was working on Battleborn. That was like one of my first bigger uh, responsibilities at the time. So, and I was doing notes for people and I was doing my own work. But one day, like I was just working and uh, I just had to do more in-betweens and more. I was getting like exhausted. It was the day just started. And I'm like, why, why do I feel like this? Why do I, why don't I feel like I want to do this? Like, am I wrong? Like, am I, is animation maybe not what I want to do? Aren't animators always supposed to just want to be animating? And I realized what it was for me was that I didn't, I liked drawing, but I didn't like starting an animation. So sitting and sitting and looking at the paper, not knowing where I'm going to start, how big the character is going to be on the paper, how, how long the scene is going to be, like all that back end stuff that's not related to the actual drawing of the scene, I didn't like it. So doing it all on the same day, sitting there and thinking and then drawing, not getting the page that I wanted, tossing it out, I took all that away and did one thing at a time. So I would spend what I call my download day. So I'd look at all the reference, I would practice drawing the characters and a few poses, draw their faces over and over and over again, wrong and right, wrong and right. Then I would get my a little sheet of paper, I'd do thumbnails and act out the scene that I wanted. When I liked the thumbnails and they were just stickmen, I would get a single sheet of paper with a, a layout box on it and i draw the character once because I knew how to draw her now. And um, that was it. Once I got the drawing that I liked, I put my pencil down and I wouldn't work on it. And the next time I came back to my table, all of that was downloaded. So all I had to do was execute now. And once I figured that out, and it was during Battleborn that I figured that out, um, I instantly felt like a real animator. Like real, quote unquote real. But like, you no, know, for real, it was the, the, the step that took me there. So if you can separate your planning from your actual drawing, it will make things just more fun. And uh, it definitely, I mean, whether you look at like assembly line stuff in a factory or if it's like something in animation, compartmentalizing tasks, it always speeds up the process. It makes everything more efficient. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it sounds like you've, you've like nailed down to a T your optimal process to export your best work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly. It, it, it still I, needs some work, but yeah, mostly there. But no, it sounds that sounds really efficient. Like, um, I guess I would say most people approach their career, whatever in general, is just whatever's coming at them, they'll just take care of in like a queue, I guess, versus like, okay, I need to animate, so I'm gonna have a download day to give mm -hmm. my brain time to process it, so when I come back to it, it's not like frustrating to figure out, I just feel more natural doing it. Yeah, and once you once you get into a habit of it, because habits are really powerful when it comes to animation, you really start realizing what you can get done in four hours, what you can yeah. get done in six, and like I mentioned to you, like six is a really important number for me. <laughs> I have this thing in my mind where I always tell myself, like, never underestimate, underestimate 20 minutes of time. Because, like, <laughs> when I'm in the groove, I can do so much in 20 minutes. 
but like sometimes I'm just like sitting on the couch and I don't want to start anything and like I'm on my phone on Instagram or whatever and an hour passes and I'm like yeah. I could have done so much <laughs> yeah and like that's part of it right so yeah. like that hour of you idling and your mind drifting that should be put into your calculations of how long it takes to do the, the 20 minutes worth of work oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well for me I've, I've realized that the hardest part of anything for me is just starting something because as soon as five minutes passes i i can get in the groove and it's all fine yeah. it's just like the mental block of uh like walking in the door or like getting groceries and putting them down to actually s switching mindset and starting yeah so that's that's for me so we've talked a lot about kind of how you developed your skill set uh your career what you want to do you want to be an animation director um if if an opportunity were to come into your like email inbox right now and it was like you would drop everything and take that. What would it be for you? Because mm. you're already working on your short film, which already sounds like yeah. kind of your dream. You're you're doing a lot of freelance right now, and you're working full time. So it's hard to say because for me, like uh, I haven't like I've been trying more like recently, like over the last year, to get my interests outside of just drawing because I've mainly always only been about drawing, and there are other things that I like. I just wasn't giving them enough time so like just because i'm becoming the best artist i can be does that make me the best friend i can be or the best son or husband or like all, all, all sorts of stuff so um i started to like value those and honestly i cannot think of a single thing whether it's as cool as spider-verse or as awesome as kill a kill like um i'm making something for myself that i've always wanted to and that's yeah. really important to me like I've, I've had to actually recently turn down a few positions they're really they're attractive positions but um it's because no matter how much uh, that project is worth to me. It's not cooler to me than what I'm doing for myself. And if I can already have a day job that's getting me the money that I need, and um, I don't want, there's always gonna be time to make money in my life, you know? Like, but uh, you can't offer me a project that's more interesting to me than the one I'm working on right now. <laughs> so, wait, let's talk about this because uh, I am kind of facing this a little bit. Like, I'm back in school, but I did a project over the summer that is getting a lot of attention, and, and like people are asking, it to be continued and I really want to but it's like not part of my plan right now so yeah. I feel like my plan is like go to school like develop the connections develop my skill like keep mm -hmm. these projects on the side but like it would also be amazing to just kind of drop everything work on these other opportunities and like see where that goes so uh, I'm also very like I have every like my calendar everything is like planned I have like next six months in my mind planned out and like I always stick to that because I wanted to talk to you about spontaneity a little bit like yeah uh, which is why I asked that question you said you gave up some really good opportunities because they didn't fit in the mindset of what you're working in currently that you're enjoying so mm -hmm. what would it take or have you have you done spontaneous things that have like outside of the thing that you've planned that have led to really good things for you before all the time almost too much almost so, too much yeah, okay that sounds that sounds weird saying after what I'm saying, but yeah. there's a way that you can plan your spontaneity, which sounds like an oxymoron, actually, and it is really. So what I do is, because I, I plan a lot too, like um, instead of using agenda, I just have a piece of paper and I would write down all the things that I need to get done, say in, in the course of two months. I write them on the side, and then on the week by week basis, as I'm writing, I'm like, how long do each one of those things take? If one thing takes four days, another thing takes 10 days, I start, uh, uh, giving them a value system of how much time they take. And then I start putting it, putting them in my schedule. And, but what I always do when I do that um, is I account, I always overestimate the time it will take to do it. So, and I know it's, I know like maybe say, if you, if this is the right term for it, like the industry rate for finishing that would be four days, but I know I can get it done in two. So if I can get it done in two, I'll allocate four days for it. Uh, Cause that's when it's expected. And that's what's expected of you if you weren't working at home, right? If you're working somewhere else for somebody, but you're still, everything is the same. It's just that you're on your own. So since I allocated the proper time that's supposed to take, that bonus two days is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. So all these times I, I keep interrupting myself uh, with new projects. I just did something for the Toronto Raptors. It was a three and a half week project. And I, I had declined the project the first time, but because I thought the time frame didn't work, but I'm like, you know what? Could I make this work? And because I had allocated in a month, I have to do something like 570 cleanup frames for Dragon Ball Z. But because I was saving time on my storyboard, 
that free time was being turned into Dragon Ball time. And because I put Dragon Ball time there, I didn't need a month to do it. I only needed three weeks. And I had saved so much time that the offset of all this allowed for me to just spontaneously just grab something. So it's planned in a way. But so uh, wait, wait, but you're saying you only allow for spontaneity in the time period that you uh, have that's free after you're done your responsibilities. No, that's just a responsible way of doing it. I'm also irresponsible where like, I'm like that looks good. Okay, you know what? If I can survive and not doing just these few other things that I'm really interested in, as long as it doesn't affect what I have to do for someone else's uh, uh, benefit too, like because uh, I, I have a duty to like make a, a proper wage. So if it doesn't affect that, if it only affects the things I'm interested in and not that I absolutely need, then yeah, I'll I'll say fuck it, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll do All whatever right. I want. But but more recently, because of this project of mine, it's been so important to me. Like I've been able to say no to a lot more things, even if they're really like attractive, but uh, not completely. So it sounds like you're very you you feel very fulfilled in many aspects of your life. Is there anything that? you are still striving towards other than the animation director that is like missing from what you're doing right now i, I want to become a mongolian throat singer yeah <laughs> you, no i'm not joking <laughs> yeah no, I, I wish i could uh, can you can you do a little bit right now are you able uh, to know <laughs> blow out your speakers i'm joking i would have i would have put that in like the 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 podcast intro like you'll hear some <laughs> mongolian throat singing <laughs> that's awesome How, where did that come from is this like I, a well, I've always like been interested in like uh, like singing from like tuba and stuff like that. And like I was watching a movie called Dororo once with my wife, and it was like it's about like the samurai named Yakimaru. And at the beginning, there was just this really weird song, and I liked it a lot. I'm like, wait, what is that called? Like, I really like that type of music because I've I've heard like bits and pieces of this growing up, and um and it wasn't even from like Mongolia, but like it, uh, I found out it was this. Uh, tuba band called Hunhor 2 and when I looked them up and all their stuff was like that and then all of Mongolian and tuba music all sound the same it sounded like they're sung by one person but like um I loved it I loved it so much and I it wasn't just an obsession like I I felt like no this this has to become a part of my life so at one point in my life I'm gonna be going out to those plains and like going into the Gobi Desert or something oh my goodness amazing that's that's so fun <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I think I have like one last question. Um, you sound like you are crazy busy all the time and you have a lot of responsibilities. Um, this is something that kind of like resonates for me because like I also am in a similar situation. Uh, so how do you make sure you are always working towards your dream when you have like cats and rent mm -hmm. and a wife and freelance and et cetera? Like how do you make sure you're always even though you're, these other paths are like diverting you from the central path, how do you always keep on that central path? Yeah, for me, like the central path is, those things actually, they're not forks in the road for me. Because my central path is like, I, I, I want to be happy. I can be happy in a lot of ways. I can be happy through the things I learn or the people I'm with. Uh, like I said, like if you become the best artist, you're maybe not the best son. It doesn't make you that, right? It One doesn't just lead to the other. So, um, one thing, like I, we, I talked to you about this like once before. Like I have like this rule of six that I try to follow, where if I, I would equate like six hours to sleep and six hours to do professional work. Like I have to be good enough that I can do an eight hours worth of work in six hours, and I've I've gone to that that speed, so I'm able to incorporate that properly. And then another six hours to spend on personal projects, and another six hours to be a good husband. And I, I take um, hours here and there from some of those groups and I, I reallocate them here and there, but it usually works out mostly. But um, uh, I think uh, if if you can if you can always think about like what the grand picture is, my grand picture is just to be happy. None of these will be like forks in the road to me because yeah. all of them will make me happy. Knowing that my wife is happy with me, that'll make me happy. Knowing that uh, my, my dad, I have a good relationship with him, that makes me happy. Knowing that I'm doing a project on my own, for me only, for nothing other than making it, that'll make me happy. So there's a difference between um, soul food and your regular meal. The regular right. meal is the one that pays the bill, but the soul food is what, if people paid you nothing, you would do it anyway. Right. So, and if you don't have that in your life, I think even if people think they don't have it, they have it in some form, but they just don't realize what it is yet. Because it's the only thing that will drive you to make money in this industry, because you can make probably the same, if not more money somewhere else. So why would you put yourself through something that requires so much skill and attention? So, um, yeah, like I, I, to, to stay on the path to answer your question uh, properly is um, 
I just try to evaluate what things are worth to me. And usually at the time, if they're worth something to me, like they tend to always be that valuable to me going in the long run. So keep not losing track of that and not exhausting yourself on any one task. Like, for example, I did say I try to spend six hours on my personal project, but I don't spend six hours. I just let the hours add up. I actually spent about three hours on it. I spent three hours essentially a day for a year for my Dragon Ball thing, and now I finished animating it. So now I'm going to spend about three hours a day for the next year to finish it. So with the compositing and all that stuff. So I spend an hour and a half in the morning. I start my day with that, and I, I try to end it an hour and a half later. So um, not exhausting yourself and jading yourself with the things that are actually interesting to you is really important. Like it, it's, uh, it's easy to lose sight of what's... Um, what's too much good in your life when you actually have it, you know? Yeah, I like I liked how your answer was to be happy because um, something that I learned is if you if you think you're going to be happy by reaching a specific goal, like I want, like I'll only be happy if I'm an animator, for instance, then like unless you enjoy the process, you're probably not going to be happy and you're yeah. not going to enjoy becoming that thing. And then when you are that thing, then like, so what is your life? Right. So like something for me that I learned was uh, happiness comes through the process of things. So like working towards animation, animation career, all the little facets of that I find happiness in rather than like I'm in like in an animation role right now or something like that. So absolutely. And I, I always find myself saying, what's next? You know, like if I once I finish the film, like, well, what's next? So what am I going to do next? Like I usually have indication of what I want to do next. But like when you find yourself not asking that anymore, like maybe it's time to like switch gears. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to say than that. <laughs> no, I agree. That's that's what happened to me in my business career when I when I reached a point where I what I kept asking what's next and what's next didn't really make me feel fulfilled in my mind when I imagined myself progressing in this area. Mm -hmm. uh, that really enabled me to to reflect and figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So, yeah, I think like also like success is a word people always bring up in animation. It's like, oh, you're successful, but like. Success to one person is not the same to another, right? That's so obvious to say, but like, if you if you really try to figure out what your version of success is, whether it's like being able to spend enough time with your friends and family and then doing your own work, or just making a lot of money, like you'll find it once you're able to actually name it. Yeah, and I think it's really tough in a creative uh, career too, because you're always comparing yourself um, just at the lowest level of like skill that you have or like where you are and stuff like that. Like I find that a lot of people struggle with comparing um, mm -hmm. their art even when their version of success is, I don't know, doing beautiful backgrounds versus animation even. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share or talk about? Um, I'm more interested in what you have to say. So like, uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll answer anything you have in well, mind. Well, I, I kind of uh, asked all the questions I wanted to ask. Um, do you want to talk about some of the processes of like Castlevania specifics or like some of the projects that people might know of? Some of the like quirky things that happen in those? Uh, there's not there's not too much to say. Um, and also like I don't know what I'm allowed to say because like I don't want to <laughs> oh, okay. like, like either an uh, like an incorrect uh, uh, impression of any studios or people involved. But like yeah. I mean to give you an overall sort of feel like what Castlevania was like. Uh, it was I was just doing some storyboards on season two. I didn't have enough availability to do more work, but. Um, their their quality of drawing was so good in the boards, like I, I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I got I got to match this. So I, I I did my stuff. And the first note I got back was, your drawing quality is too high and it's causing problems because oh, no. it's causing problems because you're drawing very good, but you're drawing them off model. And because the drawings are so tight, when this gets to Korea, they're just gonna look at your drawing and trace it, and they're gonna trace it off model. So you have to loosen up. And I'm like, okay. Like, how am I going to do this? I kept just studying like what they were doing and I realized sort of shortcuts they were taking and then I was doing some of my stuff and again, it was still looking a little tight but then there was one drawing I did of this girl called Carmina, Carmila and then uh, they circled it like this one, this is it. I'm like, okay, that's my range. And then like, I, I again, like I kept taking like those little freelance things that, that the, what made them attractive to me is like, I know I'm going to gain something out of this. So being able to work with those particular directors and then that style, I knew that was going to be much more valuable to me than the money I was going to be getting out of it. And the pay was fair too. So um, I learned from them like how to really get good drawings while still loosening up and keeping the, the quality high. And um, and it's influenced how I work on a lot of other stuff now too. 
And um, I also animated a bit on Castlevania for season two, a, a, like a year later. But uh, again, it, was, it wasn't too much, but I remember doing that. And I had to animate, um, his name's Simon Belmont, I think. Uh, I had to animate his chain. He has like this uh, whip uh, that's made out of chain. And I'm like, how am I gonna animate this? Like this, like, so I started like referencing chains and stuff like that. And then I started looking at how like all the other guys were doing on it, like Patrick Sanford and like my friend Gus. And I'm like, these guys are getting in their first pass. Like this is crazy. So like, I really had to like try to figure out how to do this. And like my first pass, like I remember when I handed it in, like the boards for the action sequences are specifically loose because it's just about getting the poses down, forget about face deal and all that sort of stuff. So it's proportion and pose. And I remember I just slightly deviated from the boards just a little bit because that's the first thing like people expect of you in animation. It's like, oh, they give you a board to say, why does it look just like the board? Please like just put some flavor into it, make it better, right? So I look at this board, it's a great board, and then I added like little bits of things in here. And he said, why did you not do what's just in the board? It was perfect. Just, just follow the board. And he said it in a nice way because like the choreograph, they knew exactly what they wanted. So like I had added like like a type of like an antic to like a, like a chain grab or something like this, and like the way he wrapped it around his arm and pulled it around. And then I I had done it internally six more times before I handed it in even once more because it wasn't good enough to me. I'm like I know they're not gonna like it like this. So then I I handed it in and I I didn't hear anything back from them. I'm like I hope no news is good news. And then a week passed by and didn't say anything. And then a second week, I'm like, hey, man, is, is everything OK? And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that was good. We, we sent it in the cleanup. Sorry, we didn't get back in touch with you. Everything's been just so busy. I'm like, OK, all right, I, I get that. I get that. So uh, it was fun. And um, uh, the one, the overarching director for the show, his name is Sam Dietz. He's an amazing artist. Like, he's just, he's really in tune with, like, the American and the anime stuff. And his anime uh, style on Castlevania was really good. And my supervising director was, um, uh, that hot shot, really handsome guy. What was his name? <laughs> um, uh, he's on Invader Zim. How am I not remembering this now? I'm, I'm always talking. Spencer Wan. He's uh, he's insanely gifted, and like he would give me some notes here and there on like how to get the faces to be a little bit better, how he drew his eyes and stuff like that. So uh, as little as it may have been, like I gained a lot of it, and they probably don't even realize it. Um, but yeah. Nice. Wow, that, that's you also talk really fast. <laughs> um, how do you pick up all these freelance gigs? Um, I was just really one thing from the other. So like, going back to that thing where when you do one thing, more of that comes to you. Like when I started on uh, Army of Frogs, like we were doing like um, uh, a trailer for it a long time ago. I did one scene and I, I stayed in touch with those guys. And then they got a contract for this Battleborn thing. And then we worked on something bigger and then from there like some other people were contacting us here and there so it's a bit of a testament to like good work will always find the people who need more of that work to be made so so you just check your dms every once in a while and there's a bunch of new gigs in there i mean yeah every once in a while there is and uh i mean that is kind of how it goes yeah but sanford green he was he's, a, he's one of my friends and artists that i work with a lot he has a studio called secret sauce and they're the ones who did Battleborn and stuff. Like he's been a, a great um, link to like some of these uh, projects and that sort of stuff. Once again, it proves that it's all about who you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is. Yeah, a lot but, of it. Uh, honestly, if your work is so good, no one can ignore it. They don't have a choice. Like it's such bad business for them to see something good and uh, not pounce on it if they can, because it'll make them money too. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, I think that that wraps it up for me, unless. There's something you thought of you want to share now? Uh, not anything worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any? Uh, so a lot of uh, students, animation students, or people wanting to start a career in animation, listen to this. Do you have any final thoughts for those for those people? Yeah, I mean, a lot of those guys are like younger than us, so like yeah. just don't rush. Like the industry's not gonna go anywhere. Just focus on like learning what you can as much as you can, and worry about the money later. But if you're really going to do that, just think about like how long it's responsible to just be doing what you want to do. I used to be the kind of person who liked to sequester myself and just work on one project at a time, just really just get into it, working through the midnight hours and sort of stuff. And it was really how I worked most of my life. But then after like life changed up and stuff like that, uh, I changed that as a consequence of my lifestyle. But then I started realizing how appealing that was, getting my day life back, getting to work, wake up in the morning and not, like, you know, you stay up. At night, you feel like, oh, uh, if I don't stay up at night, I'm missing out. But then if you waste your morning, you feel like, I just wasted a day. So, like, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. So, and the base advice would be, like, um, 
don't only just think about general stuff. Like if you're really interested in something, really focus on getting good at it, but don't ignore the rest. So yeah. don't. I, I would I would say becoming trying to market yourself as a generalist is not a good idea, because in like behind doors, the generalists are people don't remember them. They're they're not respected as much. Um, they're not called even just because they can do more. They're not actually called back as much. So if you if you have a specialization, really get uh, good at it, but uh, just don't ignore the rest. If you're able to be a bit of a generalist, that's good. But uh, and just don't rush. That's it. Just don't rush any of this. You can't rush how long it takes to draw something, right? You can get faster at it, but you can't rush how long it takes you to get good at it. Yeah, and get your quality sleep every night. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I don't know how you get away with six hours. I need at least eight, but uh, that's insane. I feel like I feel heavy when I wake up. If it's oh no, six, I can, yeah. I need like ten coffees if I only get six hours. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, Nas. Thanks, man. Pleasure chatting. Yeah. Yeah. And if uh, if you're listening and you'd like to get in touch with Naz or follow his work, the best way to do so is by going to his Twitter, which is Remengeance. And I will include a link to that in the description of this podcast. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, yeah, bye. Man. Take care.